Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins? Welcome into the Monday, May the 7th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, pairing all-stars with other great players. What can we learn from the Dominic and Sue Cam Wake pairing in Miami? And how does it correlate with Rashad Jones being married up with Minka Fitzpatrick going forward? And I'm going to insert myself directly back into the never-ending Ryan Tannehill debate. But first, before any of that, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter, at WingfulNFL. Follow the best follow on Dolphins Twitter and the show, at LockedOnFins. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com. The Rashad Jones, Mika Fitzpatrick piece is up right now, talking about pairing an All-Pro with an All-American. And, of course, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast, and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. we got a busy show for you guys today. Let's go ahead and get right into it. That's another Miami Dolphins. And we are just 17 Ryan Tannehill Sundays away from Miami Dolphins football returning to a television or to a hard rock stadium near you if you're lucky enough to go ahead and make that happen. I am not, as you guys well know, spent the weekend watching a lot of Mariners baseball. They have been on quite a bit of a roll this year. We actually just lost our second series of the season to the Los Angeles Angels, and Mike Trout got about 42 hits in that series. That's always fun to watch, but where this is a football podcast... We'll put away my baseball allegiance for now and get right into this piece on LockedOnDolphins.com. It's called Compliments to Rashad, pairing an All-Pro with an All-American. And that's obviously in reference to Rashad Jones, who I am very well aware has not been named to an All-Pro. So before you comment on the tweet or on a message board post, whatever whatever it may be, just please read the article first. I, I can't stand when people comment on the title alone. So I am very well aware that Rashad Jones has not been named an All-Pro. But if you go into the column in the first couple of paragraphs, you'll see that I compared his statistics to Landon Collins' 2016 statistics. I should say Rashad Jones' 2015 season. Season, to Collins' 2016 season. You compare those two, they're very similar, and that was considered a MVP, Defensive Player of the Year type of year for Landon Collins. So I'm talking about the fact that Rashad Jones has been snubbed in his career, and you can debate that all you want, but he has been a dominant, very, very good safety for eight years in Miami with the Dolphins, and the thing about the Dolphins' safeties they've had next to him is they've just basically put Rashad out there and said, all right, you're in charge of this entire secondary, and we're going to put a bunch of dog crap next to you because that's been kind of the plan. You go back to 2012 and 2013 when Chris Clemens was there, and he's actually by far the best one of the bunch. He had... If you, I know PFF grades aren't gospel by any stretch of the imagination, but if you go back and look at their grades in those two years, Chris Clemens was ranked like 20th and 23rd in those respective years out of all starting safety. So they actually had a good pairing back then. Then he gets... He goes in the move, goes to Houston, and his career kind of ends from there. And the Dolphins try to replace him with just a bunch of guys that just weren't really fit to be on an NFL field, much less, you know, being heavy contributors to the defense. And you go back and you look at Lewis Delmas in 2014. I was excited about that. He played very well in the first half. He got hurt. That was his game. He got hurt a lot. But even look at his grades that year on PFF, 47th. And then Jimmy Wilson came in. He was the 36th best safety. So he played better, I suppose. I wouldn't agree with that. 2015, Lewis Delmas gets hurt again. Career is over. They're left with Michael Thomas, who, great special teamer, great guy, great teammate, great captain, all that stuff. Not a great defensive back. 43rd ranked safety that year. 2016. 
16, which, you know, like I said, PFF grades, not the best end-all, be-all type of source, but Issa Abdul-Kadus ranked 56th. I thought he was better than that. I thought he was one of the better guys they've actually had and more of a rangy free safety type that would be a compliment to Rashad Jones rather than the carbon copy they seem to go with like they did with TJ McDonald last year and Nate Allen ahead of him, who was more rangy but just not a good player at this point in his career. 78th and 59th respectively on the PFF grades there for those two. So it hasn't been a, a good stretch for them. Rashad Jones, constantly one of the top run defenders in the league. First third and fifth over the stretch of the last five years of his career he has had those ranks other two years he didn't qualify because of missed games and what have you but he is consistently a top run defender from the safety position and where he excels like we talked about run supporting that running game more of a kind of a linebacker slash in the box type of guy he can get back and drop into coverage he's just much better in man the strong side c gap run defense where he's over the side of the tight end and filling that C gap on that strong side of the formation, that's where he really excels. Then also as a robber, and a robber is basically a kind of a freelance position for a safety where he can kind of pick his spots and kind of jump routes that cross over the middle of the, def- of the defense, and a guy that can just funnel things towards him and be a, an excellent takeaway piece and an excellent coverage guy in that sense. Now where he's not great is in particular zone coverages where he's somewhat hemmed into a certain area or running deep down the field where he has to flip his hips and turn the afterburners on. Not exactly his game there either. And he actually misses a fair number of tackles compared to, I guess when you compare how many tackles he does make, it's not that bad, but volume wise, he misses a fair number of tackles. We saw that in the Pittsburgh Steelers game in 2016, where he got the shoulder injury. He missed a big tackle on Darius Hayward Bay that wound up being a 60 something yard touchdown run. So he has a little bit of warts here and there, but that's the thing is you want to have a guy that can iron those warts out and make him put him in that situation just less than he normally is. So even with the good safeties we've had, like I mentioned, they were guys that were similar players to Rashad Jones. You talk about Lewis Delmas, TJ McDonald, guys that were more prone and more consistently better players playing in the box, playing downhill, helping out the run game and doing the same things that Rashad Jones does well. So you go from those guys and you flip it over to Minka Fitzpatrick and he excelled at everything in college. Look at all of his numbers. I put some grades up there from PFF on the piece talking about his coverage numbers and where they ranked in college right around the 11th, 12th, 15th mark in terms of best cover guys at different positions, whether it was yards per target, coverage yards per snap, all that fun stuff that PFF does. He played perimeter corner. He played slot corner mostly. The star position in Nick Saban's defense, kind of a key position there. Played some single high. He can help and run support. He can blitz the edge and the interior. He is just a phenomenal football player that can do it all. He is going to play free safety in this defense. And probably my favorite thing about him was we talked about the Yahoo Sports article, The Secret Life of Scouts, following the Miami Dolphins scouts around for an entire year. Pete Thamel wrote that from Yahoo. And one of the scouts of the Dolphins was at an Alabama game, and he went to the stadium at 9 o'clock in the morning, six hours before a 3 o'clock kickoff, and he saw Minka Fitzpatrick in the film room breaking down more films six hours before kickoff, getting in final preparation. So just the, the best part of that piece, in my opinion, a 10-part piece that I couldn't recommend enough to Dolphins fans, but Minka Fitzpatrick and his preparation, it's going to allow Rashad Jones to freelance more, but freelance within the scheme, more of that robber stuff, and kind of pick his spots where he can jump routes and know that he has help to certain areas, and it leads to more plays like the pick six back in 2015 of Marcus Mariota. We all remember the 
awesome misty flip that he does into the end zone that we all kind of hold our breath on. But nonetheless, you get how it benefits the team. And this is how you want to build a football team. You make the jobs of the best players easier and you allow them to do what they do best. Rashad has had some big, big years for the Dolphins, but with Minka Fitzpatrick now in the fold, more than a year removed from the shoulder surgery for Rashad, I think he's in for the best year of his career possibly. We had Joe Shad on the podcast back in November, Palm Beach Post writer, great Twitter follow, all that stuff. And he talked about how Rashad just doesn't take losing very well. He always is in his locker kind of needing consoling in a sense, but just doing it on his own. And just that mentality, that preparation, that work ethic, putting that together with a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick who gets caught six hours before the game studying film. It's just, it's going to be a very, very fun combination back there. I cannot wait to watch it. All right, next we're going to get back into the dreaded number 17 debate, talking about Ryan Tannehill on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Winkfield NFL at Locked On Fins. If you guys happen to catch any chirping birds on the podcast today, it's because I have the windows open in my upstairs kind of computer area where I do all my work. And it's just been a very rainy and dreary day all day, but it's really beautiful right now. The rain has subsided. We have some gray clouds and it just looks really nice. So I have the, the windows open, some fresh air blowing in. So if you guys hear that, just enjoy it with the podcast here because you might not enjoy this next part. If you guys got on Twitter over the weekend, you saw the age old Ryan Tannehill debate was sparked yet again. And I remained mostly silent about it. But what better way to entertain the argument, to engage the debate, than to state my position on a platform where I'm the only one with a microphone because you guys can't talk back to me on this podcast. So all joking aside, I want to go ahead and play a video clip for you guys real quick that really, I think it, it states up my opinion or anyone that would consider themselves to have a qualified opinion better than any of us can say it. So let's go ahead and just play that video real quick. And this video is after the famed 2016 loss to the Tennessee Titans where Laramie Tunzel fell in his shower and they had to start. Brandon Albert was out. Mike Pouncey was banged up. They had to start Dallas Thomas and Billy Turner on the left side of the offensive line that day and Jamil Douglas at center. So this is what Adam Gase talked about after the fans booed for booed Ryan Tannehill and urged Matt Moore to come into the football game. This is Adam Gase after that football game. We have 18 dropback passes, and he's hit or sacked on nine of them. And then the completions we do have, he's got guys in his face. So I'm supposed to blame him for that? That's, I mean, I, I get a look at the whole picture. I'm calling the plays. I know what it's supposed to look like, and it's not looking like that right now as far as what's going on around him. And when we start cleaning some things up and we give him a chance – to perform at the level that I think he's going to perform. And if he doesn't do it, that's one thing. But I, I need to see to where we get a chance of protection. We're right on a lot of the other things that we're supposed to be doing. Anyway, is he going to have mistakes? Yeah. That last interception, I told him before he went out there. I was like, when I call this play, you're going to have to fit it in. He tries to fit it in, and he gets jacked to the point where I thought he was going to get his rotator cuff blown out and his knee blown out. So he's talking there about basically making excuses for Ryan Tannehill. And I know everyone loves to throw out no more excuses. This is the last year for Ryan Tannehill, yada, yada, yada. Has to make it happen this year. Well, let's go ahead and talk about excuses versus reasons. Because in my opinion, excuses is what someone uses when they don't want to have more than a short-sighted opinion that just centers around whatever they think is the narrative, whatever they think is acceptable or logical or whatever it may be. And it goes beyond football. 
And you look at what a synonym of excuse is, it's reasons. What's a reason that something happened? If I have a child and he gets suspended from school because a kid spit in his face and slapped him, I'm not going to say, no excuses, you should do better than that. That's not how the world works. And Adam Gaze is telling you guys, every Dolphins fan out there, right to your face, that that's not how it works. There are multiple ways that things can go wrong. And rather than sitting there and just bury the guy for a lack of production in terms of the statistics you want to see, the team not winning games. It, just take everything into account and consider all avenues and all possible things that go into what goes into a football game. We talk about this scouting piece where you have 30 scouts that travel the country for a year. These guys are part of the football team, the trainers, the 20-man coaching staff, the 53-man roster, the owners, the GMs. It's There's so much that goes into a game. It is completely asinine to put everything on a quarterback. So when you separate all that stuff and just isolate Ryan Tannehill's play, he's a damn good player. We've seen it all a million times. So perhaps, you know, we know Adam Gaze likes to support the quarterback. He did it with Jay Cutler, but his message with Ryan Tannehill has been the same from the start. His message about they're going to be going forward with Ryan Tannehill in 2018 started back in February and it proceeded all the way up until the draft. And now he's basically saying, well, you guys aren't going to be able to chant for Matt Moore or Kyle Orton or whoever the hell the quarterback is that you guys want anymore because... Ryan Tannehill's the guy, and you see the Brock Osweiler, David Fales, or Bryce Petty behind him. So just to kind of expand on this argument and talk about what Gaze is talking about with hitting the back of the drop and getting hit or sacked, there are three things that can go wrong on a given pass play, and this is very elementary, so I'm not going to go too far into it. But number one, the protection can break down. You can get a pass rush in the face that disrupts the timing of the pass, that disrupts the quarterback's drop, disrupts his step up. Whatever it is, pass protection can break down and ruin a play. We've seen it happen millions of times. You go back to the 2015 AFC Championship game when Tom Brady got beaten to a pulp by the Denver Broncos. They could not keep the pass rush off of Tom Brady. Number two, a wide receiver can miss his mark or not win a matchup. And you know, if you don't get to your landmark on the right time, if you're not in the right place place where you're supposed to be, if someone bumps you off that route, the quarterback has to look elsewhere and then things get kind of chaotic from there. So again, not necessarily the quarterback's fault. Now, the number three thing that can happen is the quarterback can miss key the defense and make the wrong read, make the wrong throw. He can be inaccurate. There are more things a quarterback can do to mess up a play, but that doesn't mean that he's the only one that can mess up a play. So he's definitely capable of having his screw-ups. He's had them. He's made mistakes. Every quarterback in the NFL or that has ever played football, for that matter, has made mistakes. So consider that when evaluating the quarterback. Don't just put the final results on the quarterback. Another way I wanted to approach this argument was consider this. Let's let's say the 2012 Miami Dolphins are playing against the 2012 Miami Dolphins. And the reason I chose this year was because Cam Wake was a beast that year and the Dolphins' right tackle was Jonathan Martin. So it adds up in my favor in that way. So Ryan Tannehill, rookie quarterback 2012, has Jonathan Martin as his right tackle, who is going up against Cam Wake. Let's say Cam Wake beats Jonathan Martin off the line, which probably would have happened 12 times in a game where this matchup was occurring, and he sacks Ryan Tannehill in 1.8 seconds. Are you cheering for Cam Wake's mastery, or are you saying, well, no, nah, that wasn't that impressive. The quarterback just blew that play. You know, I think it makes a lot of sense that the defensive end just destroyed the play and made a play on his own like he gets paid to do. I know that quarterbacks get paid the most money, but other guys are paid to be professionals and produce as well too. So not always the quarterback. Adam Gaze talks about it. I've talked about it a million times. Let's just end that debate right there. It's not always that 
black and white. And just to go ahead and expand on that a little bit, the way perception can be altered based on results. You go back to week one, 2016 against the Seattle Seahawks. Kenny Stills had the big drop. We all remember it. It was for like a 72 yard touchdown. I think it was from the 38 yard line. Happened right in front of me. I was in attendance for that game. If he catches that pass, Ryan Tannehill's passer rating goes from 74.8 up to 99.8, almost a a 20 more than a 20 point jump in passer rating because a receiver dropped the football. So just it's it's crazy to consider how much he goes how much goes against Ryan Tannehill and how much crap he gets. Just isolate the play, watch the all 22. You'll see a very good quarterback. You'll see a guy that can drive the ball to the boundary. He can throw it from the far hash and just put it on a line. He can elevate the football with enough touch over the middle of the field to drop it in that famed inside turkey hole, so to speak, between the safety and the linebacker. He has plus mobility, plus running ability. He can get outside the pocket. He can extend things. Now, he is a great play-action quarterback. We've talked about that. Now, he does struggle when it comes to identifying certain guys and certain coverages. That's been a a kind of a, a weak point of his game that he has gotten better at, but he can still stand to improve in that area. Like, if a robber is in the package, we talked about Rashad Jones, where he's lurking and can make reads. We saw him throw a pick to that very same defense of coverage to Troy Polamalu back in the 2013 Steelers game, the famous snowy game the Dolphins won at the buzzer there, or I guess defended the Steelers from winning at the buzzer in that game. And he has problems when guys peel off of coverage. If there's certain disguise coverages, veterans can tend to get him with picks. So he has things he can clean up. He's gotten better at it. The famed pocket presence term that he got a lot better at under Adam Gaze, took fewer sacks, moved around in the pocket, had choppier feet, and had better mobility within the pocket. So he has gotten better every step of the way. He's a very good quarterback. He is this team's quarterback going forward. So just support him and be a fan of when he does well. And if he doesn't do well, we'll move on. We'll find another quarterback. But for now, he's your guy. He's a good player. Just accept it and move on. All right, we have one more part to get to here in the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. It's at Wingfield NFL on Twitter and at Lockdown Fins. Before we wrap it up here in the final segment of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast for Monday, May the 7th. I just wanted to talk a little bit more about kind of the quarterback and the vision of the offense and the vision of the team in general. I've had so many debates with so many people, both invited and uninvited, talking about the long-term plan or even short-term plan of this team. And, you know, I, I posted a piece on LockedOnDolphins.com in a conversation with someone today going back to my pieces where I talked about nailing the exact plan down and you can see that vision. It's not that hard to kind of understand and they wanted to build an offensive line that pass protects very well. You bring in Josh Sitton, one of the best pass protecting left guards in football. You bring over Dan Kilgore, who when he was in there with Jimmy Garoppolo played a lot better. And even with Brian Hoyer compared to CJ Beathard, his protection numbers were better. Jawan James at right tackle. He stymied Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram in a game last year. He's a very good pass protecting right tackle. Laramie Tunzel is supposed to be elite in this regard. He's not there yet. Has to get a lot better. And you go look at the center, Mike Pouncey. We talked about Dan Kilgore, how he has good pass protection numbers. Mike Pouncey couldn't practice last year. They had to take him out of his hyperbaric chamber on Sundays and roll him out there and just hope they could keep him healthy for three hours on every Sunday and basically just keep him in bubble wrap during the course of the week. And do you know what that does to an offensive line with cohesion and with continuity? I mean, how many times have I talked about how often this team gets beat with stunts or twists, different things that defensive linemen can do to create confusion on the offensive line? Now, if you follow me on Twitter during the season when I do those Tuesday GIF dumps, you see a lot of those where the offensive line is getting beat by stunts and twists. So I wonder how much of that has to do with 
Mike Pouncey being there, not being able to practice. You have a second team center practicing, making the line calls, all that stuff. You go from that to a veteran in Dan Kilgore who is has a better projection of health. You have a solid left guard. There's a longtime veteran that can hopefully get things buttoned up there with Larry Tunzel as well. So they shore that up. And then you have Ryan Tannehill who is elite, not borderline, not pretty good. He is bona fide elite when the ball comes out quickly. So you go out and you get a bunch of guys that can win immediately. Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant in that regard, Danny Amendola. We've talked about this. Mike Gusecki, the mismatch piece they have out there. We've talked about all those guys and how the pass catchers complement Ryan Tannehill's game. The same elite performances for Ryan Tannehill are there in the play-action game, keeping a fresh stable of Kenyon Drake, Frank Gore, Kalen Balish, who can all catch the football out of the backfield and pass protect and keep the defense honest in that way. So the next time someone tells you that there's no vision, there's no direction, or that every team wants to get faster, every team wants to get better people in their building, direct them to this podcast, direct them to LockdownDolphins.com where I've written about it all offseason and just show them the way. Not to toot my own horn here, but goddamn toot toot. Refer back to those two articles I wrote in February talking about the plan and the vision where I even specifically stated left guard Josh Sitton, where I specifically stated cutting Mike Pouncey, where I specifically stated they have to get better at tight end, at linebacker, and at safety, and then come back to me and tell me how there's no vision for this team. Because I, I, I mean, I laid it out for you guys. I laid it out for myself. That was a bunch of research and work that went into doing that. It's not fake insider reports. It's what it was. It's what it is. It's what the Dolphins are doing. So it's not hard for you to see. It's there for everybody to see. You just have to be willing to look. And one quick note before we get out of here for this podcast, I have to go ahead and wish my fiance, the future Mrs. Wingfield, a very, very happy birthday today. May the 7th is her birthday. She is the behind the scenes superstar of this podcast, of the show, even if she doesn't know it. And I may seem pretty put together on the podcast when it comes to football and the Miami Dolphins, but the truth is she is the captain that steers this ship in the right direction. So a very, very happy birthday, boo. I love you more than words can describe and we'll celebrate in big time fashion tonight. But as for today's podcast, that is going to do it for the show. You guys be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And check out the other Locked On Sports podcast for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And follow our flagship show at Locked On NFL, both on Twitter and Facebook. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com for the Rashad Jones, Mika Fitzpatrick piece up live right now. You guys have a terrific rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow with another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Cast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.